good afternoon and welcome to Your DIY Health here on the Spreaker Radio Network and free and simulcasting on Free Conference Call. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. You can call me Sarge. It's Tuesday, December 19th, 2023. And this program is meant to provide natural healing information only and is in no way meant to replace the advice of a competent medical professional, assuming you can find one. I search for and present to my listeners natural modalities that simply assist and augment the body's ability to heal itself. And with that in mind, we invite you to visit our website, yourdiyhealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R-D-I-Y, like do-it-yourself, health, H-E-A-L-T-H, yourdiyhealth.com. And there's all kinds of information there. All the products we talk about are there, including the terahertz frequency devices, which are featured prominently at the top of the homepage. We got the original iTeraCare devices, which are great products. They get great results. People have had wonderful results using them for the last year and a half. And um, now we also have the new kit on the block that's just getting rolled out here in the U.S. The official uh, launch will be in January, but they're uh, in uh, pre-launch right now. And that's the Only Life products, and there's two of them right now. We have the Cell Essentials Wand and the P90, which is a foot device. You just sit it on the floor, plug it in, turn it on, select your power level, 1 through 10, put your feet on it, and uh, sit back, relax, read a book, watch TV, take a nap, whatever you want to do. 30 minutes later, you've had your session, and you will not believe the results you get with these things. They're amazing, and um, they take it to a whole new level. So check those things out. If you have any questions, hit the Contact Me button. Otherwise, while you're on the main site, be sure and hit the Radio Shows tab. And at the top of the page is the link to the archive page set up through castbox.fm. Now, if you scroll down right below that is the Rumble button, which takes you right to our Rumble page, which uh, is got everything on it that we've done since uh, the beginning of October. So almost three months now, two and a half anyway, and um, lots of shows there. A lot of good stuff that we've covered, and we encourage you to uh, follow the page, like the videos, and that way the algorithm will kick it out to more and more people so more folks can learn how to restore their health naturally. And that's a cool thing to do. So uh, do that. And then uh, scroll down a little further, you'll see the information we do on the shows we do when they're on and how you listen. And at the bottom of the page is a link to the Facebook page set up for the show as well as the Telegram channel. All right. Uh, keep in mind the topics discussed and opinions mentioned on this show are those of the host and or guests and don't necessarily represent the opinions of the Spreaker Radio Network, Free Conference Call, Rumble, any of the other platforms we're on along with the uh, any of the alphabet agencies out there listening in. Nothing we say in this show should be construed as an attempt to diagnose, treat, or cure any kind of a health or wealth issue. It's all here for your education and entertainment purposes only, so that as a responsible adult, you can use this show as a jumping-off point to do your own research and due diligence to make sure that what you're doing and what you're trying is right for you. That being said, we're going to jump right into things. Um, on the morning show today, I covered um, a couple of chapters from... Uh, my new book that I'm reading, Trust Me, I'm Not a Doctor, by um, Tracy Northern, and it is an absolutely amazing book, uh, lots of great information in it, and I encourage you to obtain your own copy. Um, they're available on Amazon and any place that good books are sold. Um, I encourage you to jump on it. It's, it's a really, really good book, and it tells a lot of truth that you won't hear other places except maybe on this show and um, 
lots and lots of good information. Shooting down the germ theory and telling the truth about how people really get sick and uh, that kind of thing. But I encourage you to check it out. And if nothing else, uh, just listen to the replay of the morning show. It is now on all the platforms, including, uh, should be live on Rumble here shortly. Um, takes about 45 minutes or so for those shows to go live once they're uploaded. And um, I'm just looking for the page that I used to put it up there. And as usual, I got so many windows open, I can't figure out which one it was. But... Um, Suffice it to say, it will be, uh, there we are, should be live here shortly. If not, oh, well, it looks like it is up there. Nope, it's at 45% processing, so probably another half hour or so, and it'll be done. But it'll be at the top of the link uh, page. It's uh, December 19th, 2023, the AM show. Trust me, I'm not a doctor and more. Um, first hour, we covered that book, and then from there, um, we engaged in conversation with callers and that kind of stuff. Good show, and I encourage you to check it out. <laughs> Yesterday, um, I was playing a bit of a video by Dr. Um, well, it was, a, it was an interview of doc, by Dr. Reiner Fulmick uh, of, um, oh, goodness gracious, I can never remember their names, uh, Professor uh, or Dr. Naomi Wolf and Dr. Peter Bregan. And I thought we would finish up this video um, it's actually, uh, what I thought was pretty good about the COVID injections and how they eat away at the brain. So let me set up the, uh, streaming here and we will get into that right now and finish off this video. Here we go. As the injections would be doing that we're looking at a society in which a, a mild form of brain damage, which would could get worse with time, by the way. Brain damage matures in a way. It has a tendency to get worse, not better. I just did something that changed everything around here. Let me see if I can... Think about it. Totalitarianism. And how do you tell apart this a mild brain damage or even a serious brain damage at times? from the effects of totalitarian abuse. It's not necessarily easy because under uh, abuse situations, one of the first things to go again is love, mm -hmm. uh, tenderness, caring. So uh, people who have been captured here in America, even, and you know, you, you uh, bring them, uh, you abuse them and, and then they escape. And when they get home, they don't just open their arms and hug and kiss. Uh, there's an, there, the threats, the, the emotional trauma reproduces something that can be hard to distinguish from physical damage to the frontal lobes. It can be because you get, a, you get a sense of mechanical breakdown if you get to talk with the person. Even better than testing is just interviewing a person. You'll begin to see glitches that just feel like the machinery is broken. The person's trying to remember something and can't quite get it. Mm -hmm. uh, the person's trying to put two and two together and can't quite get it. And things like that, that uh, uh, perhaps explains some of what Naomi's been saying, is different from where you lose your higher meaning, your higher abilities, but you still might be able to put two and two together. Um, 
I, I hope that makes some sense. It does. But it's complex. It, you know, the thing is, I can't <clears throat> believe that this is a coincidence or that this is happening without them wanting it to happen. I think this is part of the agenda. Um, I, the one thing that I can't understand is why it is that so many doctors seem to not even care about human life or helping people. And very recently, I used to be on two ethics committees uh, at the University of Göttingen and at the University of um, Hanover. Very recently, I met a, I'm not going to mention his name now, but a very high-ranking um, former manager of one of the two universities. And I told him, I always, had, I always got the idea that the uh, surgeons and the other doctors who were also on these uh, ethics committees were you know, acting like divas, kind of stuck up. And he said, no, no, that's not it. That's not it. They just don't care. They are only interested in making a lot of money in buying big homes and big cars and getting as many women, he explicitly said so, laid as possible. They don't care about human lives. Now, this is probably an overgeneralization, but uh, this is what he said. He said, if you give them, if you pay them $100,000 to conduct a trial, drug trial, with them full well knowing that out of the uh, th 1,000 subjects, half of them are going to die, they're going to do it because they want the money. Uh, again, I'm not saying that all of them are like this, but this very high-ranking manager of one of the two hospitals said so. They don't care. They're only in it for the money. Maybe that explains why what, what, what's happening right now, how there's hardly anyone of the doctors of the mainstream media, the doctors in particular, who dare speak out. And those who do, of course, are threatened, like Professor Bhakti, um, are being put on trial, criminal trial. Um, is this a defect that is an, a built-in defect, or is it, Peter, a result of the medical education, of the medical education system that we're dealing with? Or am I totally off? Is this manager totally off? No, I don't think he's totally off. <clears throat> But I think that uh, equally important to money uh, are two other factors. Uh, one is power. Mm -hmm. um, and many people who go into medicine, and I think we'll see, we're seeing it more and more than in my day now, are uh, pretty remote and uh, out of touch, but, but authoritarian figures. And mm -hmm. now they're going into what kind of medicine? They're going into a bureaucratic medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, they're experiencing that in their training and they've, they're experiencing it as patients too. So you have the authoritarianism, you have this uh, new kind of, uh, of person who is, uh, is not a good connector, who's, who's seeing a, a way to have power, but you don't have to be a good connector. Mm -hmm. um, so authority and power. But then there's another thing, which is identity. Before you, um, before you go into that, let me briefly interrupt because I know that Naomi needs to leave um, and I want to give her a, a, a quick chance to great. Um, maybe, are you about to leave, Naomi? She's gone. Oh, she's gone already. All right. I'm sorry. I should have said, I should have said goodbye to her, but I'm very grateful <laughs> for her. Yeah. Yeah. Me neither. But she told me beforehand that she only had about an hour, but yeah. please continue. I'm sorry, Peter. Identity is incredibly important. Um, if you think about 
what kind of courage it takes to do different things. Things that threaten your identity are far more terrifying than things that just threaten your life. Mm -hmm. If you look at, say, uh, the, the courage that policemen and firemen routinely show in, in rescuing people or saving lives or facing death every time they knock on a door yeah, uh, the, or stop, with a, stop a car. They don't know what they're going to come up against. Mm -hmm. But that same policeman will get on a witness stand, as I've seen in court time and again, and tell a more or less fake story because he's been asked to by the attorney general, by the wow. powers that be. And, and if that same policeman or a fireman finds out that, um, that there's corruption in his local uh, precinct, uh, the odds are overwhelming he will ignore it. <laughs> because our identity in a group that mm -hmm. we build over a lifetime uh, in different ways, but the camaraderie of the police or the military and so on, because same thing is true in the military. Soldiers will risk their lives all the time, but how often do they become whistleblowers? Uh, very, very rarely. Yeah. Um, the greatest courage seems to be to risk identity within your own group. People will rather die than do that, and they'll willingly die for a good cause that they have support for, and if they survive, they're going to get a medal for. But for them to uh, to say no to their whole profession, to give up that power, that authority, and the identity. So it's wealth, there's authority and power, there's identity. And I think that identity is the strongest of all of them. Um, and among doctors, um, you think of all that goes into building that sense of identity, but also superiority mm -hmm. uh, over mm -hmm. other people. Um, if you think about that, it is, uh, it's a big deal. And it is trained into us. And, uh, and, and a lot of people are selected to um to go in they self-select to go into medicine for that reason i mean i i don't i think i'm the only person i have knew and maybe you've known somebody who would who went into medicine to be a reformer because <laughs> i i was i went in i know no one <laughs> I, I was, you know, I knew the Harvard psychiatrists at Harvard. They they loved our program. In those days, you could have a social psychiatry, not anymore. Mm -hmm. But in those days, psychiatrists actually had more uh, uh, opportunities for alternative kinds of approaches. Nothing that would overturn the thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, once I came out against lobotomy, I got extruded. But um, how can that was, be? How can that be? Because at that time, most people should have understood about the horrors of lobotomy. Your wife sent me some of the pictures. One of them was this, I guess now infamous uh, doctor. I forget his name. You mentioned Walter him. Walter Freeman. Yes, exactly. He, did, he didn't seem to care at all. If you look at his face and if you look at the way he, he wasn't even wearing a mask or anything, he was not, he was just performing something that he didn't even really seem to be interested in. Well, he was ghoulish, and he had a yes. giggle about him. He was positively ghoulish. And I mean, I talked to a mother who brought her 10-year-old into Dr. Freeman's office for a neurological consult. 
uh, or psychiatric, because he was not a neurologist or a surgeon. He was a psychiatrist into his office for a psychiatric consultation. And he, uh, he offered to lobotomize her in the office that day. Wow. Um, he didn't use sterile methods. He had a shock machine. He'd give electroshock to knock you out. And he would slip uh, ice picks around the eyes of the person and tap them and they would break through the thin, I'm sorry, folks, if you're just not prepared with this, wow. through the uh, thin la- layer of bone and swish them around. And he did this to probably 5,000 people. Oh, my God. And he did it. Uh, he would travel from state hospital to state hospital. Now, I do believe I'm the f- only psychiatrist, only physician who ever said no to this, who said publicly no. And I'm going to stop you. <laughs> well, you know, but know what, was, this, time, but <laughs> was this accepted medical therapy? Or was uh, it conducted in secrecy? It was Not conducted re- in amphitheaters. Ah, Freeman went around. He had a, um, a trailer of some kind, and he drove around the country, and he'd do it in amphitheaters. And uh, there's uh, there's stories of him, you know, being um, acting like a matador and doing both eyes at once, and this bizarre stuff. No one ever stood up to him until me wow. as the first psychiatrist to ever take a lawsuit against him. But he died before the suit was over. Um, so why would I be the first? I think it's identity issues more than anything. But the that, thing is, that, but the thing they tried is, to get rid of me, you know. Yeah, but they didn't succeed. And if they don't succeed, that makes that's what my grandfather always used to say. It's going to make you even stronger. Now you're a famous, a world famous psychiatrist, and that's one of the things you're famous for: stopping lobotomy. There's still a little bit going on in Europe, and but we stopped. All, pretty much all the ongoing ones. And now there's one or two more sneaking around at the highest point. See, the highest in medicine and especially psychiatrist, psychiatry mm-hmm. is the worst because they're the most <sighs> arrogant. They're the most know-it-all. Mm-hmm. They're the most willing to uh, grab whatever new powerful thing that will enhance their identity. You know, um, um, in hindsight and Hindsight starts, I think, in the late or early 1980s for me, because that's when I watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with um, uh, Jack Nicholson playing the role of someone who was lobotomized. And I thought that was a very credible and very ghoulish thing to see, even though we knew, of course, this this is only a movie, but I also knew that this is part of reality. Back then, I thought, oh, may, maybe they're not doing it quite this way, and maybe they're not doing quite that kind of damage. But now that I'm listening to you, it was even worse than that. It was even worse than what we saw in that movie. Yes, uh, the, uh, particularly Walter Freeman. And he he worked in the beginning with a uh, neurosurgeon, Watts. <clears throat> they were both at George Washington University. And um, Watts said that... Uh, Psychiatrists should not be doing surgery, and he would not work with him anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Freeman, just to give you an idea, I mean, he he was elected president of the D.C. Uh, Psychiatric Association. I mean, he was given medals. He was lauded. And Monitz, who invented the treatment, mm-hmm. it's not really a treatment. He invented this brutality yeah. In Portuguese state mental hospitals, got the Nobel Prize for that. For Incredible. This. I had no idea. 
Oh, God, yeah. I have an interview uh, where Walter Freeman is talking about how uh, uh, when people questioned Manitz about what he was doing, he'd say that there are plenty of Portuguese. I mean, so you get this kind yeah. of callousness that we see in the global predators mm-hmm. uh, on the videos when they're a little bit off guard or, or just frustrated. There is, uh, you know, human, human nature leaves a lot to be desired. And um, <laughs> in, the, in a bad system, most people become bad. And in a good system, most people, I think, stay pretty good. And um, here's, a, here's a, a question about it that I find very, very interesting. And maybe we could talk about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it is very obvious what the world needs. Basically, uh, it was uh, something that the people had struggled over, how to do it. And our founders in the U.S. came up with a system of checks and balances over democracy. So you have a democratic base where there are constitutional uh, inhibitions on what can be done to individuals. We have a Bill of Rights. Um, This system spread all over the world, all over Europe, now we have it in you know Japan and to some extent India and other places around the world. <clears throat> and so far, we know that if you want to stop world, if you want world peace, literally no democracy, no no functioning constitutional democracy has ever attacked another constitutional democracy. People try to say, oh, this happened or that happened, you know. Mm-hmm. But by the time a a country attacks a democracy. It is no longer a democracy. It's been taken over. It's a totalitarian state. Mm-hmm. Um, democracies don't have famines. There's just there's just too much control that the people have over things. Too much individuality. Too much ability to to grow food because it's not centralized. Um, no democracy has ever done to its own people what Hitler or Mao or Stalin is done. Um, It just doesn't happen because the people have enough control and there's enough protections. Sometimes the democracies totally break down, as happened with Hitler. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a lot of that was due, in fact, to the Western world, uh, you know, putting all these uh, uh, limits on the German people and putting all these uh, financial stresses on the German people. I mean, the creation of of Hitler has a hell of a lot to do with Western society after World War uh, II. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's complicated. Um, But what we need to do is right now is to support constitutional democracy throughout the world, period. That's what we have to do. Now, there's other good things we can do, like you know, dis- disclose who these violent people are who want to stop us, which is see, our specialties. But basically, that's what's needed in the world. And interestingly enough, if you read any of the globalist literature, it never gives serious discussion to constitutional republics or democracies. Never. In fact... 
Um, I think this is what Klaus Schwab wrote in either The Great Reset or The Fourth Industrial Resolution. Um, in fact, one of four things, I forget which ones they are, but one of them is democracy, have to go. Globalization can stay. So that's what's happening. Globalization... Yeah, I, can, I can tell you exactly what he says. He's, it's, in our, it's in COVID-19 and the global predators. Uh-huh. He says that globalization is incompatible with a patriotic democracy, basically. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Because we won't put up, we won't put up a, yeah. a we want to be Germany first, America first, which is, I believe, how it should be. Of course. And then you also organize to be charitable and caring about what's happening around the world. But first you have to be strong and you have to have a free people. You got to have a free mm-hmm. people, rel- relatively free. And everything that's happening in the world today is aimed at destroying constitutional democracies. That's another thing I want to just give your, your folks a chance to think about, because I don't think this is talked about very much. Everything that looks crazy to us systematically destroys constitutional democracies. So if you look at what um, is happening with Germany being mm-hmm. a top uh, contributor to the uh, World Health Organization, the whole EU, which is a globalism of its yeah. own, the whole EU is is one of the biggest supporters of giving up sovereignty of the individual nations to the World Health Organization. Yes, the yes. EU has been was working on on uh, supporting the treaties that that the World Health Organization is still trying to get through treaties with individual countries. That won't have to be approved by their Senate or whatever, or like our U.S. Senate, because they'll call it a, an agreement instead of a, uh, a treaty. Um, to give up all sovereignty is supported by Germany mm-hmm. and, uh, um, and the U.S. and pretty much most of the major Western nations. So that's one piece of it of the treaties. The other piece of it is proposed by America, by Biden administration, a change to the um, uh, amendments, to, uh, amendments to the health regulations of the World Health Organization to remove all restraint off the activity of who? So that if it's even suspects that in your country something's brewing that's a threat to other countries, and it doesn't define, there's no limit on what it might think is brewing. It could be educational, it could be racial, it could be medical, mm-hmm. because they believe all of those things come under who. Uh, they can now, if, if the, if the uh, uh, amendments ever get passed, we stop them this first round. Where yeah, but they're going to try again. Our, mm-hmm. They're going to try again with the amendments. And so who then will be a, um, a dictator over a good chunk of sovereignty. Mm -hmm. Germany supports it. The EU loves it. Yeah. Um, And so does our our biggest agency, Health and Human Services. So that's the the big thing that maybe people aren't speaking enough about in Europe or anywhere else is this issue that they are out to destroy the constitutional democracies, Mm -hmm. the United States being the big target, of course, simply because of our power. And we have just about lost the United States right now. I mean, if we can't take back uh, to some sort of a a revived zombie Republican Party to take (laughs) it back from uh, 
from the progressives, we will probably lose America in the next the next presidential round. We, we're pretty much losing it right now. I agree with you. Um, this is something that people have to understand. As far as Corona or COVID is concerned, they have to understand that this is about life and death. This is not about um, some of the vaccines don't seem to work or breakthrough infections, which is a misnomer for vaccine failure, of course. Uh, But they have to understand that this is about life and death. They're trying to kill us off. That's definitely the case as far as I'm concerned over the, I don't know, 400 plus interviews that we've done. This is the conclusion I have come to. And as far as democracy is concerned, you're absolutely right. Europe, this seems to be the eye of the storm. What, what's happening here cannot be seen by the people who are in the eye of the storm, except by some people who are part of the resistance. Mm-hmm. But it's easier to witness this from the outside. But this is the laboratory which they're using in order to create their first mini one-world government. And if that works well, then they're going to take it one step further uh, because that first mini one-world government will be the EU, which many people have gotten quite disgusted, disgusted of in Europe but for the wrong reasons. The right reason is they're taking away our democracy. They're taking away our our sovereignty. Um, That's why one after another of these uh, Young Global Leaders program produced politicians, including Macron, is losing power. Um, They are being thrown under the bus so that Ursula von der Leyen, who is the president of the EU Commission, can take over as their most important minion, their most important puppet to control Europe. I I believe this is what's happening. But more more and more people have gotten totally disgusted of what they're seeing, in particular the Eastern European countries, who do seem to remember better what a totalitarian system looks like than us Western European countries. So it is the outcome is not certain. I'm not sure if they're really if they're really on track with their agenda anymore. And as far as the U.S. is concerned, Peter, I hope it's a, a lot different there. I, From what I have seen, the last time I was there is in um, April, May, June. Uh, from what I've seen, seen um, many people, many more people than in Western Europe um, are not willing to go along with this any longer. I would I would estimate between 40 maybe 40 to 50% of the population whereas here in western europe it's probably between maybe 10 to 15 maybe 20% of the population well i you know i think you're being too optimistic <laughs> um, you know one of the things that's happened here that we're talking about ginger and i by the way i want to say ginger has a uh, a new column up. She and I do columns on a wonderful platform called um, America Out Loud. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter McCullough's on it. Mm-hmm. We have a uh, radio show that we do together. The only thing we've ever done together is this radio show we're doing on America Out Loud, and we do columns on America Out Loud. And by the way, if you to keep up with us, the best thing you can do is uh, go to Bregan.com and get our frequent alerts. They're free. All right. They're, not, they're called mm-hmm. Bregan alerts. Bregan alerts. 
and they'll tie you in. We've got a, I've got a regular TV show that goes out as a radio show. Ginger and I have our own separate radio show. We're both doing columns. And Ginger's latest column that just went up today, and we got it up in time for this show because of the themes of this show, uh, her column on AmericaOutloud.com is widespread damage to brain and heart mm-hmm. dash Stop mRNA yeah. quotation marks, vaccines, and platforms. Excellent. No, I'm very grateful for you taking the time and making this effort because I think this is very, very important. And it's going to, a lot of people will now realize that they were not mistaking. They didn't imagine things, but rather people do get injured, do suffer brain damage. And it's very similar, if I'm not completely mistaken, to um, lobotomy. To lobotomy, as it matures and spreads the effects throughout the brain, which happens, Mm -hmm. and very similar to electroshock treatment, which is a generalized brain attack, Mm -hmm. except you get more memory loss than than people will get from from this, uh, uh, from the spikes, um, all brain damage <clears throat> tends to reduce us in a hierarchical way. First, getting love and affiliation and caring mm-hmm. and moral restraints, and uh, uh, and it's uh, it just reduces the ability of the soul to communicate through the brain. That's, that's like exactly that's exactly how they're trying to to destroy humanity. You got it. humane thinking, empathy, and thank all that. you for putting putting me, um, you know, on today. Um, it uh, with Naomi. It's been a real pleasure to have that kind of interaction with her. I I very much enjoyed it, Peter, and I'm very very grateful for you taking well, this opportunity to join us. Here. I I'm, I just feel really strongly about what you're doing, and whether you're in Germany. Or, or the U.S. would be happy to continue working with you. Great. We will. Please say hi to Ginger, and thank you so much again. Thank you. Okay, take good care. Bye-bye. So this is the first segment of the new format, uh, the International Crimes Investigative Committee, and um, I was honored and privileged to have had both Dr. Peter Bregan, probably the most important American psychiatrist, and Dr. Naomi Wolf with us today uh, to discuss brain damage that's induced by the so-called vaccines, mRNA vaccines. We know they're not vaccines. Uh, We know they're neither necessary, nor are they effective, nor are they safe. Well, they are effective, but in a pretty much different way than most people think. Thank you very much for being with us. It was a pleasure. We'll see you next time. So there you have it. Besides uh, killing people outright, these jabs are causing all kinds of havoc in the bodies, not just physical, but mental as well. And uh, there are still people out there rolling up their sleeves there's still, I'm amazed the other night I was watching some boob tube. And of course, the even on, uh, I don't watch network TV. Uh, I can't remember the last time I actually had ABC, NBC, CBS or any of those on. But even on 
cable internet based stuff i use streaming services like uh, q streaming which by the way is finally <laughs> uh getting their act together um i was uh, turned on to q streaming by uh, carl and brenda back in the summer and it uh, started out kind of rough but they're in their third or fourth iteration of their operating system and their app and they i think they've finally gotten things ironed out to the point where they're a viable service that is worth signing up for um I had removed their links from my website because, quite honestly, I was getting pretty disgusted with them. But uh, the other day, uh, I decided to do some digging. I asked them, I asked them to send me, or you know, I sent them a question on their uh, support, and I still haven't heard back from them, which is kind of surprising because usually they respond pretty quickly. But I went online and found a um, thing showing that they had again redone their software so i removed the old stuff and updated it and uh, with the new uh, app it seems to be working quite well the buffering is at a very minimum uh, it seems to be working like it should so now it truly is probably the best streaming service out there you're getting over 2,000 different channels and movie channels to sports channels all that stuff if you're interested in it for 60 bucks a month and um I will be uh, putting the link back on my website in case anybody wants to sign up. Um, it's a good service, and you can get the networks through there. Um, oddly enough, there's a Fox network or a Fox affiliate here in Columbus, and they used to be on there, but for some reason they've been deleted. I don't know what happened. Uh, all the other ones are still there, but the Columbus Fox affiliate's not. But uh, the ABC, NBC, CBS, and all that crap are there. Uh, but I don't watch it. They, what I was getting at, is the um, ads that are run even and it's it's region specific because you know everything's based on your ip address so they can direct ads right to you even though i'm signed up at a national uh, streaming service because it sees my ip address it automatically directs um, ads that are related or relative to the central ohio area which you know is you know rather interesting but of course they're talking about now going and getting your annual flu shot and while you're at it get your annual covid shot and it was the you know they're safe they're effective and they're, uh, i said you know it's funny that after three years of this stuff proven to kill over 20 million people worldwide you know again you go back to the um uh swine flu 50-some people died, and they yanked that jab from the market instantly. Now we've got over 20 million dead, and not only did they not yank it, but they're promoting it still as safe and effective, which proves what I think it was Lenin said. You know, one person dies, it's a tragedy. A 1,000 people die or whatever, and it's a statistic. What is it when it's millions? It's not even a, an event and especially when it's what exactly what they wanted it to do but anyway yeah the ads are out there they're still pushing these things and they're making them seasonal right along with the stupid flu shot which i've never had either and i don't encourage anyone to get i am 100 percent proudly anti-vax of any kind i won't even take a tetanus shot and um 
if you're smart, you'd be the same way. But I encourage you to do your own research on that. Come to your own conclusions. And uh, there's plenty of information out there. All you got to do is seek it out. Well, I want to continue on with this article. COVID injections eat away at the brain. Not only do the COVID jabs cause profound physical damage to the body, organs, as we have seen or been covering for many months now, but they also damage and destroy the tiny capillaries that exist in the brain as part of the critically important blood-brain barrier. This barrage of destruction caused by the shots eventually leads to major personality changes in recipients and the experts discuss in, as the experts discuss in the video above. In essence, COVID jabs are eating away at people's brains in real time and turning them into lobotomized zombies. The master plan with all of this seems to be to sub subdue the planet under some kind of mind control as this lobotomization allows for the subsequent brainwashing of jab recipients, possibly with the help of 5G and other advanced anti-population weaponry. Eventually, all so-called vaccines will bear the mark of mRNA, which means everyone will eventually be brain-destroyed and reprogrammed. These include future vaccines for measles, influenza, and other infectious diseases. Cattle used for food are also now receiving mRNA injections, which is tainting meat and dairy products with whatever those jabs contain. Be aware that the above discussion delves much more in depth into the de details of this chemical lobotomization process and how it displays in COVID jab recipients. The zombie-like aspects of the discussion harken back to the CDC's zombie apocalypse, warning from years back pre-COVID. Are people acting unhinged? <laughs> One commenter on uh, content anecdotally revealed. Another quoted scripture to back up uh, the unhinged, unhinged comment. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without, all, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Timothy 3.17 That's a good ending. But uh, yeah, some crazy stuff going on there. And I just wanted to um, cover that completely. It's been a long time in coming, but uh, a lot of good stuff. And with that, I wanted to move on to, um, if I can figure out what I did with it, as usual. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I had queued up some, uh, there we go, Barbara O'Neill uh, recordings. And she's got a couple that I thought were really pretty interesting Healing the Body God's Way, Part 1 and Part 2. And these are short videos, but I think with Barbara... House fires can destroy everything in minutes. Stupid ads. Preparation is key. Uh, what would you first, have done differently? Even though I have it set not sure, to autoplay, it does. And then there's always the ads. 
but I'm going to go ahead and play this. This first one is 15 minutes, and I think it should be quite interesting. Here we go. I believe the best medical book that we have is the Bible. And in Psalm 119, verse 73, the psalmist says, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I might learn thy commandments. In other words, the great God of heaven made our bodies. He fashioned us. And he and he alone knows the conditions that our body needs. So what is the healing message from the Bible? In James chapter 5, verse 15, the Bible says, If any among you are sick, so this is the question we want to know. What do we do? If any among you are sick, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him and let them anoint him with oil. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed any sins, they shall be forgiven him. Then the next verse says, Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. For the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In Ellen White's comments on this passage, she says, It is not enough to pray. She said, when you pray for the sick, the Lord brings to the mind a simple natural treatment that can be applied. In page 127 of the Ministry of Healing, I believe is the recipe for healing. It's got everything that we need. It starts by saying the only hope of better things is the education of the people in the right principles. Let the physicians teach the people that restorative power lies not in drugs, but in nature. Disease is an effort of nature to free the system from conditions that arise because of a violation of the laws of health, which I have written up here. In case of sickness, the cause should be ascertained. So the detective hat has to be put on. And that's why in Proverbs 26, verse 2, it says, The curse causeless shall not come. There is always a reason. Job 29, 16 says, The cause I knew not, I searched out. Galatians 6, verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that he shall also reap. So the cause should be ascertained. Wrong habits corrected, unhealthful conditions changed, then nature is to be assisted in her efforts to expel impurities and re-establish right conditions back in the system because the body's designed to heal itself. Pure air, sunlight, abstemishness or, or temperance, rest, exercise, proper diet, use of water, trust in divine powers, these are the true remedies. They're the remedies. And when, you've, when you have a look at the cause, just go through the eight laws of health. And in the majority of cases, you will find, I find, that here you will find where the cause is. Sometimes people are doing everything right, but they're so stressed out, they're so worried. Fear. And of course, God has said in first, sorry, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, I have not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Trust in divine power is a very important part of health. In fact, Ellen White states in Mind Cure that nine-tenths of all diseases have their source in the mind. 
So we need not to have fear. Remember, we need to have faith and faith goes strong by earnest conflict with fear and doubt. Moving on in page 127 of the Ministry of Healing, it says all should become intelligent as to the human frame and how to keep it in the conditions necessary to do the work of the Lord. It is important both to understand the principles involved in the treatment of the sick and have a practical training that will enable one rightly to use this knowledge. And then it goes through the eight laws of health in that passage. And then it says nature's process of healing and upbuilding is gradual and to the impatient it seems slow. And that's why at this stage I give the verses Galatians 6 verse 9, let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And then the, uh, the other verses Hebrews 10 35 where it says cast not away therefore thy confidence in the which is great recompense of reward for ye have need of patience in that after you have done the will of God you might receive the promise now the just shall live by faith but if any man draw back my soul shall not have no pleasure in him but we are not of them that draw back under perdition but of them that believe in the saving of the soul you see the just shall live by faith so remember it takes a little time and also in page 127 of the ministry of healing it says um, the the use of natural remedies requires an amount of care and effort that many are not prepared to give but in the end it will be found that nature untrammeled does her work wisely and well. Those who persevere in obedience to her laws will reap the benefit in health of body and health of mind. So this goes beautifully hand in hand with what the Bible says. But unfortunately, many take for granted this running of the human body because the body bears long. And so in Psalm 119, verse 67, it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. Many people don't think about the running of the human body and what to do when they get sick until they get sick. And so moving on a little bit more to verse 71, the psalmist says, It's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. And then to 73, the verse I opened with me, thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I might learn thy commandments, the laws that govern the functioning of the human body. Every home should have an anatomy and physiology book because that's a book about us. And it talks about how our colon works, how our lungs work, how our stomach works. We need to have an understanding of that. And in Proverbs 14, verse 6, the Bible says, Knowledge is easy to him that understands. It's important to understand the workings of these different organs and how they interact with each other so that we can have the knowledge on how to treatment, how to treat them. In the book Christ Objects Lessons, page 347, Ellen White says transgression of physical law is transgression of the moral law. You see, God has written his law with his own finger on every nerve, every muscle, every faculty with which we have been entrusted. And any misuse of any part of our organism is a violation of that law. All should become 
intelligent has to the human frame and how to keep it in the condition necessary to do the work of the Lord. She says in this passage that the relation that exists between the physical organism and the spiritual life is one of the most important branches of education and I would like to add one of the most neglected. The physical organism should be carefully preserved and developed that through humanity the divine nature might be revealed in all of its fullness. How often is God robbed as workers of workers because the physical organism has gone down? And everything that happens in the physical organism affects mentally. And everything that's happening mentally affects the physical organism. So it's a whole package. And that's why these eight laws of health are the true remedies. So it's important to understand these. It's important to go through these. And many years ago, when I first married my husband, Michael, 19 years ago, he was the, he was the business manager at a health retreat in Australia. And I was a mother. At this stage, I had helped a few other mothers. I developed simple little natural treatments to treat my children. Other mothers would ring me and I would advise and, and help them. I had a few books and I looked through the books and whatever they said, depending on what the problem was, I would do. That's how I I taught myself the natural remedies. We lived in a rainforest, so we're a long way from anywhere. And I used to claim the promise in Psalm 32 verse 8 where God says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. One of my biggest learning curbs was my son Peter. He was my fifth child. Um, it was a very interesting birth because um, they thought I had a long time to go so I was left and I could feel the baby coming and I realized I had to deliver my baby myself. Now I'd had several home births and I, I'd seen how it was done and so I was by the grace of God, praise God, I was able to deliver my baby. So he had a very natural birth. He was totally breastfed. And as babies do, he got a cold. And when he got the cold, this must have been about five, six months, he went into quite severe breathing distress, which really frightened me. And the little natural remedies that I developed on my other children, it, it, it didn't seem to be helping. I lived in a rainforest and my neighbour came over who worked in, um, in emergency and he saw Peter and he immediately was very, very concerned. And I said, oh no, he'll be all right. It took about two days and eventually the tightness of his chest eased. The next time it happened, he was about 10 months of age and it was very, very severe. And I did not know what to do, so I went to the hospital. They were very, very concerned at how, how hard it was for him to breathe and how severe his breathing distress was. With every breath, his nostrils would flare. With every breath, his muscles from his hips right up to his ears would just clamp. It was a very scary thing to watch. So they gave him a drug called Ventolin. It didn't seem to do very much, but... Then about a day and a half, he deezed a little bit and I took him home. And then I read an article where it said that Ventolin reduces breathing capacity. And I thought the very drug that Peter is being given to 
help with his breathing distress is weakening his lungs. So I went to a naturopath. I went to the naturopath because I said everything I usually do isn't helping. And he looked at Peter and he said, this is a very sick little boy. I said, oh no, he's not sick at the moment. But the naturopath could see that Peter was not well. By this stage, Peter's about 14 months of age. And I remember one, it was in an afternoon and he was very, very tight breathing distress. I was up in the rainforest, there was no cars. And my children were learning for their memory verse that week, the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. So I gathered my children together. So Peter was maybe about 13 months at this stage. So my next child was two and a half, the next child four, the next child seven, the next child nine. And I said to them, children, I'd like you to lay your hands on Peter. He's, he's very sick and we're going to claim the promise. We're going to claim the promise of your memory verse that the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. We closed our eyes and we prayed to the great God of heaven to save our their little brother and my son. When we'd finished praying, it wasn't long after that, Peter still had the breathing distress that he fell asleep and he slept for two hours, first time he'd slept that long for days. And when he woke up, his breathing distress was gone. And I was thrilled that God had answered our prayer according to the promise. But Peter still had a weakness there. I had to do something and I didn't know quite what I had to do. And the naturopath, who I saw when he was 14 months of old, he gave me some clear guidelines. He said, absolutely no sugar. We, were, we weren't eating sugar, but no milk. We were still having a bit of cow's milk. Now, my sister, my younger sister and my father both have asthma. So my son Peter got a genetic line there, but there were still some things that I could do and I needed to learn them. I discovered that Peter had severe physiological asthma. And so what I would do, I would um, do hot and cold treatments on his chest. Uh, I also found that if he had an enema, just when he got his breathing distress, that, that stopped breathing distress from 24 hours down to 5 hours. I would not give him anything but fruit to eat as soon as he got a cold, and that, that would certainly help. I would give him slippery on with a little bit of licorice, and that certainly helped. So our through the natural treatments, we got his breathing distress down to, to only five hours. But it was still a very tough five hours. I can remember days where he would be having the breathing distress on my lap and I would just be crying. It's such a scary thing to see your child so sick. But every time he got a cold, the breathing distress got less and less. Let's switch over to part two. Are you still interested in a solar powered generator? Because pay special attention because I'm going to do something that until recently... The naturopath rang me. He said, Barbara, I'd like you to tell me everything you do with Peter because he said Peter is the worst case that I have ever seen. And he said, you know more than me now on asthma. Can you see our learning curves? Our learning curves are going through these experiences. The naturopath said, I'm about to speak to the uh, Asthma Foundation. And he said, I would like to give them Peter's story. 
I was unable to speak because I was in the rainforest with a baby and many children all homeschooling and I was very, very shy. I, I had never speak in, spoken in front of people before. So the naturopath spoke for me. He said the asthma foundation were quite resistant, but he said after a while they softened up and they listened to him. A lady came up to me, a lady came up to him at the end of the meeting and she, she said to me, she said to the naturopath, you've described my son James. She said, my son James is the same age as this boy that you're referring to. She said, my son James is seven now. He's been given two weeks to live. He has a glycerin enema every day and he is on cortisone suppositories and he's not given long to live. And the naturopath rang me up and he said, and look at Peter. And I thanked God for that experience because these conditions are scary, they're very real, but I quickly saw that medicine, even though their drugs might bring a little bit of relief, I learned very quickly drugs do never cure disease. They just change the form and location of the disease. So we need to become intelligent as to the human frame. We need to find out how the body works and we need to find out the conditions to apply. Praise God, there are so many good books out there that, sh that show the simple natural treatments. That's why on page 127 she says it's important to understand the principles involved in the treatment of the sick and have a practical training to enable one rightly to use this knowledge. And I found a book that had Dr. Kellogg's water cures in it and so I started to do things like that and I found that the water treatments were very, very powerful. It was the hot and cold compresses on Peter's chest that gave him some relief with his breathing distress. And it certainly was the enema also relieved with the breathing distress. In, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we have another verse that tells us about the health of the body. And in that section, the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Notice it's by God's mercies that we do that, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. A living sacrifice. How do we present this living sacrifice? The living sacrifice must be a body that works. It must be a body that is not sick. <laughs> And if it is sick, if you give it the right conditions, it will heal. And my, I look at my son Peter today, who's got very big shoulders, who's got very big muscly arms. He is 30 now and he owns, actually he's 31, and he owns a tiling business and he has 20 men working for him. He's very, very successful and he's got a very strong, fit body. And yet I know that there are three instances where I nearly lost Peter, but given the right conditions and under guidance of God, Peter became strong. So you can turn a weakness in your body to a strength, which is what we were able to do with Peter. So the Bible says, present your body's living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The reason why it says reasonable, because we are the winners. Because you see, we are the ones that are living in this body and it's not a happy thing to live in a body that doesn't work. And then the Bible further 
explains. It says, be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to the way this world dresses, to the way this world treats sickness, to the way this world vaccinates poor defenseless babies, causing so many neurological problems in babies. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God. And this is to everyone around us. You see, the best way you can teach others about natural healing is basically to do it in your own life. What is the saying? Preach the word and sometimes use words because your life is your biggest illustration. I had many people come to me when I was in the rainforest asking for help purely because they saw the children. Sometimes they'd see the children wrapped up in bandages and they'd say, what are you doing? Oh, well, I've got garlic on there and we've put a bit of charcoal on there. I never pushed it onto anyone, but they would watch what I was doing and they would inquire. You see, in Hebrews 12 verse 1, it says, Seeing then that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. You see, the witnesses are our family. The witnesses are our neighbours. The witnesses are our relatives. The witnesses are our workmates. Seeing then that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and run with race with patience, the race that is set before us. Notice how patient is needed because it's not always easy. The race set before us and everyone can win in this race. Looking under Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Wherefore consider him who endured such contradiction against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your mind. Can you see that message coming through again? A little bit of patience is needed because these things don't happen overnight. They're they're not quick and many people don't want to use the natural remedies because they take an amount of care and effort that many are not prepared to give. You see, nature's process of healing and upbuilding is gradual and to the impatient it seems slow. The other verses in the Bible that talk specifically about health are 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 17. It says, know you not that your body is the temple of God? And the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. God doesn't often have, he doesn't often have to destroy, because we destroy ourselves. Some people say, well, I don't drink alcohol and I don't drink cigarettes. Yes, but you're dehydrated. You're having late nights. You're not eating enough greens. You're not eating enough salads. You're going to bed too late. You can defile the body, and you do when you break these laws. No wonder further on in 1 Corinthians 3.19, the writer says with an exclamation mark now, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. You have no right to put alcohol in your body. You have no right to have a late night. You have no right to be dehydrated. You have no right to put stimulants in your body. You were bought with a price. And we know what that price is. You were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. So you have no right 
Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. One lady was about to work at our health retreat and she said, but I actually really want to eat what I want. And Marcus said, well, this is not the job for you. (laughs) When you're in a health retreat, you're in a glass bowl there because the guests want to see, they want to see that you do this. And if you don't do it, what are you saying? Ah, it doesn't really work. You have to be a living example of how this works. And that's why the Bible says it is your reasonable service. It's a very reasonable service because the body that you're living in now works. I'm going to give you a few examples now of how these simple treatments have profound effects. I was in New Zealand and I was talking to a lady who wanted to ask me a few questions and she brought her little boy with her. He was seven. And I immediately saw his finger. It was twice the size. It was all red and it had like a a white sealed top on it. And I said, aha, what's the matter with that finger? She said, well, I've been to the doctor and it's cellulitis. You know what cellulitis is? Inflammation of the cell. Well, that's not rocket science, is it? We've got inflammation of the cell. I said, "Uh uh-huh, what are you doing? She said, well, we're into our second week now and we're on our second course of antibiotics. Tell you that finger didn't look very good. And we're in our second course of antibiotics. And she said he's on painkillers every night and sleeping tablets because he can't sleep. He's seven. And what's the definition of insanity? To do what you've always done and expect different results. That's why you have to have an ear and an eye to the voices that are coming out of your body and other people's bodies. They will guide you. What's one of the most important tools for survival and self-defense? I'm not talking about a bug out bag or generator or... Obviously, this is not working. I said, "Um, do you mind if I try something? She said, please. So I got two cups and one, I put hot water in it. Now, the hot water was as hot as he could stand. I got him to put his good finger in to feel it because you've got to work with the will. Because remember, a man convinced against his will will be of the same opinion still. You've got to work with the will of the person. You've got to convince them. I said, put your good finger in. Does that feel good? He nodded. I said, put your sore finger in. He went, oh. I said, yes. Just keep putting it in. If it's still too hot, we'll put a little cold in. Because that finger will be in the hot for three minutes. And then it will be in the cold. And ideally, the cold has a few ice cubes in it. And the hot is as hot as hot as the person can stand. I always put my finger in, I get them to put their good finger in and then you you feel it there. And the cold is 30 seconds and there's a reason for this. You see, initially the hot stimulates. It's like when you're cold and you get into a hot bath, you can feel the stimulation because when the hot water touches the skin, it causes the blood to rush to the skin and start moving. But it's not long, it's actually only three minutes before we get a slowing down or a depression. So the stimulating part of hot is three minutes. And then after three minutes, then it's depression or slowing down. So before it's got time to slow down, then we put the finger into the cold cup. We use the cup because that's all you need for a finger. 
and it had ice in it, 30 seconds, because cold initially is also stimulating. You see, we're warm-blooded creatures. And when cold touches us, there's a reaction. And the reason there's a reaction is because we're warm-blooded creatures. And when cold touches us, the body says, oh no, cold's coming, move fast. But it only takes 30 seconds before depression happens. So we only have the finger in the cold water for 30 seconds. That's why so many died when the Titanic went down. Their whole body just stopped, just stopped because they were in ice cold water. But initially, when the water touched them, oh, there's a reaction, but only for 30 seconds, then depression hits in. So what we do then is we go back to the hot. And while the finger's in the cold, you have boiling water and you just put a little bit of boiling water in the hot bit. I always put my finger into test, get them to put their good finger in. But after his finger's been in the ice cold, he can bear a little bit more hot. This is done three times. So hot water for three minutes, cold for 30 seconds, then back into the hot, back into the cold, back into the three times. So how long did that take? 15 seconds? Sorry, minutes? <laughs> 15 minutes at the very most. By the time he had his last cold, a big smile came to his face. He had received in that 12, 15 minutes more relief than his painkillers. Isn't that incredible? What did we do? You see, in an injury, the, the blood tends to sit and pool in an area. And what we need to do is get old blood out and fresh blood in. And that's what this hydrotherapy treatment does. Because of the stimulating effect of the hot, more blood is drawn into the area, pushing the old blood out. Before depression can happen, over to the cold. More fresh blood. And when the fresh blood comes in, the old bread comes out. What does the fresh blood have? You see, the blood is the healer because blood contains oxygen. Blood contains nutrients. Blood contains water. And blood carries away waste. Blood also contains something else, and that is your white blood cells. And your white blood cells basically are your internal army. Your white blood cells are designed to eat up and kill off any microbes that are in the blood. All we need is blood. The blood is the healer. That's why it's so important to be drinking your water, not have anything that will harm it, going to bed early, keeping those eight laws of health will result in pure blood because it is the blood that heals. So this is what we did with this little boy. And by the end, he had a big smile on his face. His pain levels had reduced right down. Now that's quicker than taking a Panadol. How long does a Panadol take to kick in? Ibuprofen, neurofins, aspirins. They take about 20 minutes, half an hour. Well, this is quicker. And no side effects. No harm on the kidneys. No harm on the liver. No brain bleeds, which is what the aspirin's causing. And I said, can I do a bit more? Well, the mother and the son were saying anything. <laughs> I grated up a potato and I made a little package 
and I wrapped it around his finger. I put a little bit of plastic on it and then I taped it on. And then I asked if I could pray for this because remember the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. Do you remember Ellen White's comments? Praying is not enough and natural treatments are not enough. We've got to bring them together. We've got to marry them, the natural treatments and the prayer. And I asked God if he would please bless this treatment. That's all you have to do, just a simple little prayer. Because he made, he made the potato, he made the herbs, and so he uses those. And so we prayed for it, and she said, what will we do now? I said, well, maybe in a couple of hours do it again, it's 10 o'clock in the morning, and then do it again just before he goes to bed, and then do it again in the morning, and we'll see what's happening about then. Well, as soon as they got home, the little boy said to the mother, can we do that again? You see, that little boy had experienced the relief that he got from the simple natural treatments. The mother got back to me and when they, when he woke up in the morning, so that would have been the third poultice, everything came out. The whole wound had opened, all the blood and the pus came out and the finger was back to normal. I, she said, what will I do now? I said, just cover it. That will slowly heal. That will, that will certainly heal by itself. No matter how big the hole, if the body made the hole, the body can heal up the hole. No need for antibiotics. No need for painkillers. No need for painkillers. We did painkillers. And no need for sleeping tablets. That first night after we did the hot and cold, so that little boy had them three times that day, he slept soundly that night. You see, most pain is due to inflammation. And if you can get the inflammation down by the alternating hot and colds, and if you can get... This is the first I found, but uh, not that it you know, takes away from it completely, but apparently this is all part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Ellen G. White was one of the founders of it. But uh, that doesn't mean some of the information on healing isn't accurate. And... Uh, Hey, Sarge. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I have watched a lot of her videos, mm -hmm. and uh, I just I, I believe I really the best medical book that we have is the Bible. I can't get the stupid thing Psalm to stop. And in Psalm 119, <laughs> verse. There we go. She she does a really good job of uh, of breaking things down, explaining how the body works and mm -hmm. how the different organs work and everything. She does a great job. Yeah, yeah, I've been watching her stuff for quite some time now. And uh, Amazing. a lot of different uh, topics and cover just about everything. And the best part is it's natural. That's the key. Yeah. Yeah. Her video on the, on the, uh, on the uh, stomach acid thing, the acid alkaline balance and all that, mm -hmm. her, her video on that is what uh, would basically uh, allowed me to, to, to cure my issue. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was it was interesting that because you mentioned it, um, I think I heard you say it a little bit after um, I had uh, taken care of mine, and you mentioned you had stomach issues as well. Oh yeah. And I, I thought that, uh, and I was like, wow, you know, it's amazing how, you know, I I don't think it just happens by chance though either that you know that you're led to these these videos and and uh, and the people that have experienced similar issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's. Um you know, stomach problems 
is probably one of the biggest gateway things to major um, chronic health issues just because of the effect it has when you get put on proton pump inhibitors uh, you can no longer digest nutrients especially minerals uh, very well at all and of course that opens you up to all 900 chronic health issues um, and it's just so many people start out on tums <laughs> and it's downhill from there um, when the tums don't yeah, get it up. anymore then they go to the doctor and the doctor hooks them up and then bingo you know the next thing you know they're on 27 different meds and yeah, they've got all kinds of things for for a very short period of time for like like two months you know because i was searching for an answer you know because they were like well you need an alpha blocker you need a beta blocker <laughs> and then you need a uh, and then you need a proton pump inhibitor and we're going to give you flomax for your prostate <laughs> And once I fixed the gut issues, I was able to absorb all those problems went away. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them. I, yeah. I am. I am not on any of those pills. I haven't been on them for years. You know, haven't needed to be on. Them. Yep, and that's why this little thing right here—you can't see it real well. But this T-shirt on this picture is what. This is why I do what I do. And it says, I take aspirin for the headache caused by the Zyrtec. I take for the hay fever I got from the Relenza. I take for the uneasy stomach from the Ritalin. I take for the short attention span caused by the Scopoderm. I, TS, I take for the motion sickness I got from the Lamotil. I take for diarrhea caused by the Zenical for the uncontrolled weight gain from the Paxil. I take for anxiety from Zocor. I take for my high cholesterol because exercise, a good diet, and regular chiropractic care are just too much trouble. <laughs> you know, that's the whole thing in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. but for, for me, I, I feel like I'm living proof of it. You know, I, I fixed my own issues. And uh, it all started with fixing the, uh, the stomach acid with uh, cayenne pepper, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Celtic sea salt. Yeah. You know? yep. And I've noticed, too, that when I go to buy Celtic sea salt at the co-op, it's gone. Imagine that. that. Yeah, so it's... it seems like the word is getting out. Mm -hmm. It's getting harder and harder to come by. Samuel, yeah. you got something you want to say? Yeah, just the other day I was looking for... Um, a more comprehensive, complete book on her work, and didn't really come up with with one. Um, do you have any recommendations in that regard? I don't. Um, I haven't. Uh, I haven't searched yet, but so far, uh, it seems like most of the stuff she does, she's doing on YouTube, and um, I don't know that she's actually done any books. Um, she's got books. I just don't. You know, it's hard to tell what's in there. You you used to get a better shot at what's inside of a book when when you went book hunting, and these days they just don't tell you crap, you know? Yeah, you almost have to go to a store that actually has the physical specimen so you can look through it. Um, yeah. But uh, online sources, it makes it tough. Yeah, she's got some books out there. You just, it's just hard to say what's in them yeah. is what I've found. And whether they're... They're, they look to me like they're covering maybe a narrow area of what she knows, you know, mm. more specifically, and then they're that not like more topic. of a Bible thing, you know. So. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, anyway. and that's where you have to be careful. You know, she has some things that you know, she mentioned in there, genetic uh, hit, and we know better than that. Um, so there's no one source that's right on the money, obviously, other than God himself. But, um, you know, she's, she's got some really good stuff and does a good job of explaining it, which I, I really like. Um, but, yeah, as far as uh, specific books that she's done that, you know, are like an all-around thing, I have yet to come across anything. Okay. That was my question. Thanks. Yep, no problem. I know she has a Telegram channel, though, now. So. Oh, really? Yeah, she has a Telegram channel. So she's, you know, the word's gotten around pretty much that, you know, that uh, she's like a, I don't know, I guess the way to explain it would be a, a guru. But, uh but yeah, uh, the word's gotten around, and uh, more and more people have found out about her, and uh, you know are are uh, using some of her methods. Cool. Yeah, I'm doing a search here. Uh, Another one of the reasons that she's on the uh, you know don't forget about her list when it comes to the government, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> A lot of nasty stuff out out there on her. Yeah, she's been attacked heavily because, well, just like uh, anybody who puts something out there that um, flies in the face of uh, the American Murder Association, it's going to be problems. And uh, she's so they, done her they share. They just took Doctor Tenpenny after all these years. They took her license in in your state, right? Well, they put her on suspension, but it's you know may as well be. You know, put it that way. Um, chances of her getting it back, slim to none, um, which doesn't surprise me. I'm surprised it hasn't happened sooner, really. Yeah, they did the same thing to Barbara O'Neill in Australia, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. D during, the, during the COVID uh, fiasco. Yeah. Yeah. You know, nothing uh, yeah. to see here, and if you look, we'll throw you in jail. <laughs> right. <laughs> And uh, I am, let's see here, I'm putting the link for her Telegram channel in the chat room there, so in case anybody's interested. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's what I covered on, this mor on the morning show, um, is that uh, the whole system was set up by the Rockefellers, Carnegie's, and so on. You know, it started out with, you know, something as small as Edward Jenner pushing his cowpox garbage and then Pasteur coming in with his germ theory. And even though he was a crappy physician at best, and there was another guy out there at the same time named Beauchamp who was working on the terrain theory who really had the answers, his system was something that would not make money and past year's bogus germ theory was something that would so imagine how when uh, rockefellers and carnegie's got wind of it and uh, don't forget the rothschilds they basically pumped all kinds of money into the bogus germ theory and of course vaccines and everything else because that was something that they could get a hold of and use both for their pharmaceutical drugs and for the you know kill shots known as vaccines and they make all kinds of money and of course in the process they get the lamestream media 
and the politicians on board, you know, showing them how they can get rich too, just supporting our, our system of screwing the people. And the whole thing is geared towards, you know, it's all based number one on a lie. And number two, it's designed to kill as many people as possible while sucking as much money out of them as they possibly can in the process. And that's what we have with modern medicine today. You know, nowhere near does it have anything to do with health. It's not health care. It's symptom suppression, disease management while we kill you. <laughs> and that's the thing I got to put in there at the end because I got system, symptom suppression and disease management from Glidden. But he doesn't throw in the extra part that I'm just plugging in on the end while we kill you and suck you dry. And that's basically it. Um, the well, whole sorry, system is built on a lie. When they say it's petroleum-based, though, what I mean, I know they're derivatives of petroleum, but how in the world are they able to manufacture drugs out of petroleum? I don't know how they do it, but that's where it comes from. It's a matter of distillation, cooking the stuff down to a certain point, and you know, mixing other chemicals in. And But most of most pharmaceuticals are based on petroleum in one way, shape, or form. Um It'd be interesting. Let me just for now. You got me wondering. <laughs> Let's see if we can't find. Um, of course, we'll have to go to YouTube. <laughs> of course, I don't know if it would be on there, but how are drugs? Oops. see what we get here birth of the pharmaceutical industry hmm. medications made possible by petroleum well let's start with this one just for the fun of it see what we get here when a fire starts every moment matters Gotta how quickly can you respond he knows a lot about the science stuff professor dave explains In the previous tutorial, we turned to the birth of microbiology, but immediately prior, we told the story of how the young British chemist William Perkin, while trying to prepare quinine, accidentally started the artificial dye revolution, which sparked the birth of huge dye stuff conglomerates in Germany. And as we mentioned, toward the end of the 19th century, these dye stuff companies switched their focus and gave rise to the first modern pharmaceutical companies, some of which are still around today. One future giant was the company Farwerke Hoogst, founded in 1863 in the town of Hoogst, which is now part of Frankfurt, Germany. The company became a huge player in the dye business through the second half of the 19th century, growing its workforce to over 2,000 workers and scientists. Near the end of the century, as the dye business became saturated, the company moved into synthetic drugs, and over the years 1888 and 89, it introduced to the market two analgesics, antipyrene and amidopyrene. 
These were the first synthetic drugs to be developed to treat fever and pain. The chemistry is quite simple, consisting of two trivial chemical steps, but this turn to synthetic chemistry, as opposed to exclusively utilizing natural products, was decisive and represents the paradigm shift that led to the modern pharma industry. The new drugs were supplied as tablets since around 1860, machinery that could compress powders into tablets had been developed in France. This practice of combining the drug with inactive substances called excipients and compressing the powdered mixture into a tablet had been slowly perfected and was then available worldwide. Another important area of research was the field of anesthetics. It is difficult to imagine that throughout most of human history, there was little to no relief from pain, and even surgeries were typically performed without applying any kind of anesthesia. Historically, only a handful of substances with anesthetic properties had been stumbled upon. The power of poppy extracts was apparently discovered by the Sumerians 6,000 years ago. The great Indian surgeon Sushruta introduced anesthesia via hemp smoke, or cannabis, around 600 BCE. Mixtures of alcohol and other herbal extracts were used in Rome. These herbs included opium, mandrake, henbane, and hemlock. These were allowed to be used to alleviate the pain of crucifixion. During the 19th century, cocaine was commonly used, after the Inca discovered the properties of coca leaves in the 14th century, and ether was also commonly used, after Paracelsus introduced it in the 16th century. This was often mixed with chloroform, which produced some very nasty side effects. Laughing gas, or nitrous oxide, was also effective, but of short duration. None of these procedures was completely effective and free of side effects. Not surprisingly, chemists turned to organic synthesis to prepare better substances, and modern anesthetics are now all synthetic. Hoechst introduced Novocaine, also called Procaine, in 1905. Surgeons preferred to stick with cocaine, but Novocaine turned out to be extremely successful for dental procedures, which finally became painless. Hoechst grew to become a huge company. In 1913, the year when the company celebrated its 50th birthday, there were 9,000 workers at the Hoechst site in Frankfurt, and the company reached a turnover of $100 million. It had factories all over Europe, including Russia, France, and the UK. The Hoechst site grew over the years to a size of over 60,000 workers, including a large division devoted to research and development. Another extremely successful German giant was Bayer. It was also founded in 1863 near Wuppertal, much like other companies, in order to enter the immensely profitable dye business. Its history somewhat parallels that of Hoechst. Around 1880, Bayer also entered the pharma business and introduced phenacetin, an analgesic, which competed with the Hoechst products as the first synthetic analgesics devoid of addictive properties. In 1880, the company already employed over 1,000 workers and had an R&D department with dozens of organic chemists. This was essentially unheard of outside of Germany. The company got so big that it eventually created its own city, the modern Leverkusen, which currently has 160,000 residents. 
Bayer is most famous for the drug aspirin, which was introduced to the market in 1898. This drug is described in detail over in the pharmacology series, but to cover the basics, the drug has anti-inflammatory properties, and its mechanism of action was not elucidated until 1971 by Nobel Prize-winning British biochemist John Vane. The drug is still widely used today for its diverse biochemical and medicinal properties, and has been called the wonder drug. This is rather astounding given its structural simplicity. The lead for this structure comes from willow extracts, later known to contain salicylates. The synthetic version, also commonly called acetyl salicylic acid, is a more active and safer version with respect to the extracts it is inspired from. Aspirin is currently the most utilized drug in the world, on a tonnage basis, with a volume of 40,000 metric tons, or 40 million kilograms per year, an amount equivalent to 50 to 120 billion pills. In many countries, including Germany, aspirin is still Bayer's brand name, and acetyl salicylic acid is the generic name, whereas in other countries, like the U.S., aspirin has become the generic name of the drug because of procedural complications with the trademark office. In the same year that it launched aspirin, 1898, Bayer launched a simple derivative of morphine named heroin as a cough suppressant. It was available over-the-counter, and it remained so for decades, until people started to realize the addictive properties of the drug. We will discuss the history of heroin later. Other important and later controversial market introductions were in the field of hypnotics. The first barbiturates appeared on the market around the turn of the century. Barbituric acid was first prepared by German chemist Adolf von Bayer in 1864 by reacting two compounds called diethylmalonate and urea. The story goes that the chemists went out to celebrate the discovery at a tavern where an artillery garrison was also celebrating the Feast of St. Barbara, their patron saint, hence the name of the new substance, an amalgam of Barbara and urea. The new substance had no biological properties, however, and it took a few decades until chemists decided to make some modifications to the molecule, which produced drugs with important hypnotic properties. Indeed, in 1904, Bayer marketed Barbital with the trade name of Varinol. The substance quickly replaced the most common treatment against insomnia, bromide, and enjoyed wild success all over the world. However, its continued use triggered tolerance, and insomniacs needed larger and larger doses to achieve the desired effects. The effective dose was around 600 to 1,000 milligrams per day, and the drug could be lethal at 3.5 grams per day. It was inevitable that people would abuse the drug. Deaths were not uncommon, including some very famous people. And in addition, Varinol became a preferred tool to commit suicide, as the death was painless. Barbiturates are past their heyday and no longer commonly prescribed. However, hundreds of people still die each year from barbiturate abuse, whether accidental or planned. Another German pharma giant that should be mentioned is E. Merck. This is a pharma company which did not originate from the dye business. The company started as a pharmacy in Darmstadt in 1668 and evolved into a modern pharma company by sticking to the natural product business. It made a name for itself by marketing several important alkaloids, including morphine. 
Among its key products was oxycodone, marketed as Eucodal, a synthetic opioid and powerful painkiller, which recently has become well known for its devastating addictive potential. Merck established production and R&D sites in many countries, including the U.S., and specifically in Rahway, New Jersey, whereas other German companies thrived by exporting their new drugs to the growing U.S. market. As one might imagine, World War I changed the situation dramatically and signaled the end of the supremacy of the German chemical and pharmaceutical companies over the rest of the world. Allied countries, including the U.S. and U.K., stopped importing German products, and local branches of German companies were closed down. The U.S. revoked all German patents, and local producers could start making and selling German products, which enabled the fledgling U.S. and U.K. pharma industries to quickly grow. The U.S. branch of the German company Merck was broken off from the mother company, and Merck became de facto a U.S. company, later to be renamed Merck, Sharp, and Dome. And this separation from the original owner, E. Merck Darmstadt, became permanent. The end of World War I saw the German economy in shambles, with some of its best pharma companies having lost patent protection worldwide for their most important products. At the same time, the victory in the war was a great boost for the U.S. pharma industry, which would emerge in the coming decades as the most innovative and productive worldwide. However, the pharma industry in Germany was not quite dead. As we will see in the next chapter, the antibiotic revolution actually started, as usual, in Germany. Hmm. Thanks for watching. Subscribe to my channel for more tutorials. Support. Didn't really talk about how the process is done, but uh, power of pharmaceutical companies. <laughs> so I guess what, what, what would the question be? How are uh, pharmaceuticals made from oil? Yeah, basically that's the, and that's why I said how are pharmaceutical drugs made from petroleum? Yeah. Um, biological I mean, medicines it, are made. Well, let's see I what this is. I think you asked one. it correctly, so I don't know. Hmm. Let's try this one. Why did people stop using single blade razors? Well, big box companies discovered a lucrative. Biologic medicines are proteins produced inside living cells, which are mini factories generating the genetically engineered protein treatments. It's a different approach from traditional drugs, which are manufactured using chemical synthesis. Biologics offer hope where other therapies have failed. Yeah, biologics, I made the wrong one. This evil man destroyed medicine. <laughs> How John D. Rockefeller created Western medicine. Oh, let's have a see what this one says. <laughs> we have an evil and corrupt medical system. You might believe that the Western medicine that we have today always existed, but it's only about 100 years old. The one you can thank is John D. Rockefeller. He was an oil billionaire that became the richest man in the United States. In 1863, he opened his first oil refinery in Cleveland. Rockefeller believed that competition was sin and that he needed to eliminate the competition. Therefore, he started to buy every oil refinery that he could find in Cleveland. And within two years, he owned most of them. 
over a decade later, his company Standard Oil owned most oil refineries in the United States. His control over the oil market created the first American monopoly. The government did not like this, so they forced his company to split into smaller companies. Because of Rockefeller's greed, not many people liked him. He wanted to fix his reputation, but at the same time earn even more money. Then he found a brilliant solution. Rockefeller found out that there was a way to use his oil to create drugs. His oil was only worth about a nickel per gallon. But if he used his oil to create drugs, he could earn millions of dollars per gallon. In order for him to succeed with his plan, he bought the German company IG Farben. It was the same company that would later assist Hitler when he killed Jews. Rockefeller's biggest threat was natural health. One big problem with natural remedies was that it wasn't possible to patent them. Therefore he needed to eliminate it. The first step in the takeover of the medical system was to take over the medical schools. Rockefeller then employed a man called Abraham Flexner. His task was to make a report of the medical schools in America. Flexner was against natural health and believed that it was quackery and that hospitals needed to use allopathic scientific medicine. Flexner released his report in 1910. In his report he said that American schools should impose higher admission and graduation standards. The Congress then accepted his report and medical schools had to teach allopathic medicine. Allopathic medicine is when you use drugs to treat illnesses but don't cure them. When Rockefeller got the green light that medical schools had to teach allopathic medicine, he and the Carnegie family gave grants to medical schools. They told the medical board that they would receive money, but they had to have one representative on the board of directors. And after that, medical doctors started to treat illnesses with drugs. Rockefeller also created the American Medical Association. This organization introduced a medical licensing system. Only doctors that had a license could work as a doctor, and everyone else that used natural remedies got eliminated. The Rockefellers are one of the biggest names in the eugenics movement. It's the belief that the world is overpopulated and that we need to shrink it. Rockefeller and other elite banking families believed that they were better than anybody else, and that they needed to create a pure race. The eugenics movement started in America before Hitler killed Jews. It was actually the Rockefellers that introduced this concept to him and helped him kill a lot of people. The Rockefellers also started the organization Planned Parenthood. Its aim was to reduce pregnancies in women. Bill Gates' father was once the leader of this organization and that's the reason why Bill Gates is so involved in eugenics. The Rockefellers and other elite banking families also created the Federal Reserve. It's a central bank in America that creates money from thin air. Bankers met in secrecy in Jekyll Island 1910. Their plan was to take over the financial system. 
1913, they got the Congress to pass a bill where the money would be created from a central bank. And with the control over the production of money, the Rockefellers and other elite families could now buy everything they wanted. The aim of Big Pharma Medicine is not to make people healthy. Instead, its goal is to make everyone sick, because you can't earn a lot of money if people are healthy. All drug companies work together as one network. The whole system can only continue if there are sick people. If people were healthy, then the whole system would collapse. You can't become healthy if you follow the corrupt system. Psychopaths created the medical system that we have today, and they still run it. Unless we don't realize this, we will continue to stay sick and never heal. It's time for you and me to learn about health and don't trust this evil cartel. Short, sweet, to the point. Yeah. Still would love to see the actual process involved, but it's all synthesis where they cook the stuff down and change it chemically. Um... Let's see here. I'm not seeing anything. But um, it's just one of those deals. We'll just have to keep looking. (laughs) But yeah, there's... uh, And that's why I really recommend this book. Um, Trust Me, I'm Not a Doctor by Tracy Northern. Um, Really, really good. The other one that uh, really surprised me was the one... um, by Dr. Brigham, the guy who was on the video interview at the beginning of the show, um, and his uh, book, uh, if I can remember where to go, the COVID-19, uh, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. Um, oddly enough, on Amazon, which, you know, unfortunately that's where I got it, nine ninety nine, and I figured this was a relatively small book, um, and the... Uh, ebook was only 2.99 but when i got the actual hard copy the other day i was amazed it's 640 some pages a lot of that is um references and footnotes and things like that but it's a big big book and for relatively you know for 10 bucks man that's the deal of the year um and if it's anywhere near as good as the information that he was uh bringing forth on that interview it's going to be a great read but um yeah i'm just going through counting um good grief all the covid books one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven 12, 13, uh, 14, 15, and there's a few more in here. There's like 16 or 18 books that I've got uh, that, um, I mean, I've either, most of them I've read, but a few that I'm in the process of reading. And um, they all point to the same thing. 
it's a concerted effort to kill as many people as they can. That's what it boils down to. And the, um, let's see here, links for the book. Um, which book was that one, Kirby? <laughs> I, I'm not sure when you started talking about it. Um, um, let me see here. Hmm. Gotta get my brain working. Do, 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 Amazon. Um, easy way is just go back to my orders. Uh, this one. Here's the link for Trust Me, I'm Not a Doctor. And where's the other one? Um, it should be right in the top. Oh, there it is. COVID-19 and the Global Predators. So there's the link for both of those books I was talking about. Um, both are really good. I read the, I think it was the third chapter, uh, third and fourth chapters. Uh, this morning, and um, on the show, really, really good stuff. Some excellent points, things that I hadn't heard before. One of the things that really surprised me, anaphylaxis, that term came out in, I uh, think it was 1913, when a gentleman wrote a Nobel Prize winning, winning paper about uh, that process, which is brought about by the vaccination process prior to vaccines there was no such thing as anaphylaxis and also prior to vaccines there was no such thing as food allergies and one of the things that he proved in his paper was when you inject something into into a body it hypersensitizes them so that the next time they're injected with that same thing it causes a major reaction aka anaphylaxis and that's why we have so many peanut allergies now, because peanut oil was used in so many vaccines, and it didn't have to be listed as an ingredient because it was grass or generally recognized as safe. But what they're finding out when they, a person is injected with a peanut oil-containing vaccine, the next time they get another vaccine with peanut oil, it causes an anaphylactic reaction. And from that point on, just peanut dust could be fatal to you and that's why now you know when i was a kid everybody and his brother brought peanut butter and jelly to school for lunch i mean that was the number one lunch of the day and now it's all but banned you can there's no way you're allowed to bring peanut butter in any way shape or form or nuts or anything like that to school it seems because um, there's so many kids that have had these jabs that are all hypersensitive to it and they're all hype, you know, allergic to peanuts. It's nuts, literally. Well, actually, they're not nuts, they're legumes. But um, that is a, a major issue. Just one more thing brought to you by, well, Pfizer for one, but Merck and Bayer and all these other companies, uh, but ultimately Rockefeller and Carnegie. And um, it's just a sad situation that so many people have been brainwashed into this process over the years. Um, and it all 
started as a way to make lots and lots of money for the doctors involved, the drug companies, the um, big pharma, American Murder Association, mainstream media, all the people that push this stuff get a slice of the pie. And, of course, now Big Pharma is the number one advertiser in the media and the number one funder of medical schools and the number one funder of Congress and all state legislatures. They have weaseled their way into the background of virtually every process in the country so that they're controlling everything. And that's why it's so difficult for shows like this and any others that are telling the truth about this to get a footing because they're going to shut it down every way, shape, or form they can. You know, that's why, you know, if I post, if I was to post this on YouTube, it'd be shut down in no time. Um, I actually got a notice a couple of weeks ago from YouTube that uh, one of the shows I did back in 2020 in May, when they were having the uh, reopen Ohio rallies down at the state house, and I did my live shows from down there a couple of times, um, I got noticed that, uh, one of those shows was taken down because it violated the community, whatever, guidelines. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, just absolute insanity. Crazy, crazy stuff. But, my goodness, this, shit, this two hours has gone by fast. We are almost out of time. Anybody else have any closing comments, questions, concerns, anything like that? Real quick, throw them in there. Um, if not, let's see. Oh, so, Sarge, yeah. seems anything, anything made out of, uh, you know, especially if you're going to ingest it, made out of oil, doesn't seem like it'd be good for the body. Mm -mm. Nope. Plant oils are all bad because they all oxidize. That's the key is they, they're unstable. They oxidize, which produces trans fats and free radicals, put them in your body, produces inflammation and cancer. So, and that was all, again, um, the same powers, basically, in the early 1900s, where uh, basically everybody cooked with animal products, butter, lard, uh, suet, tallow, that kind of stuff. And, um, of course, there's no money in, in it. And uh, Procter & Gamble bought the rights to Crisco, which was a German U-boat uh, diesel engine lubricant. And um, they tried to, you know, make it into a few things and nothing worked. So, oh, let's make food out of it. We'll make, you know, first it became uh, Crisco and all the, uh, the vegetable shortenings. And then, of course, from that we get the liquid oils and everything. And that's where heart disease came from. Um, prior to that time, there was nothing anywhere close to heart disease levels and that all started when procter and gamble paid the american heart association seven million dollars to engage in a disinformation campaign uh demonizing animal fats and you know telling people it was safer to go to these vegetable based fats shortenings and uh, it took a while but the propaganda finally kicked in and now you know, everybody's making their pie crusts and cookies and whatever with either the hydrogenated, um, solid at room temperature shortenings or the liquid oils from plants. 
and we have since then seen heart disease and cancer skyrocket. All brought to you by the same group of schmucks trying to make money and kill as many people as they possibly can in the process. And there we have it. You know, the truth. <laughs> Ugly as it is. But we are out of time again for today. Uh, appreciate everybody being here. Got a good crowd. And hopefully you found it somewhat interesting and educational. And uh, we'll be back again tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. And then, of course, on Thursday, Mike Callen DW will be here with us with our special guest, um, Mike's uh, Mensa-level uh, attorney guy who was uh, put in prison for 10 years by the feds. So that's going to be interesting hearing his story. But uh, take care of your bodies because it's the only place you have to live, and we will see everyone tomorrow. Take care, and God bless. Doctor.